My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 44 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. In this week's show, we've head coach at Running Coach Ireland, Rene Borg, talking about the ideal age to step up to the marathon and ultra running. And we've Dave Barry, fresh from finishing the 126km Trans Gran Canaria, the biggest international trail running race of the year so far. And he tells us about his incredible journey over 23 hours and how he managed all the highs and the lows, all with an injured calf. Everybody, let's get our running gear on. Let's go. Hey everybody, welcome to the show this week and hope you all enjoyed the long break over the St. Patrick's weekend and got out for some quality training in the good weather and there was some great racing on last weekend as well from the Inver calendar with very impressive running in the Wicklow Way half. Barry McAvoy showed his class with a close to a four minute win over John Kinsella in second and Edna Cloak was 30 seconds back from John in third place. Both Enda and Barry are having fantastic years so far, with both men the runners really to be on the mountains. Barry has four wins out of five races to his name this year already, and Enda has won seven of the nine Imre races that he has done, including a win in Ogavell Woods the day after the Wicklow Way. So two rising superstars there on the hills. And speaking of superstars, what a performance by Isabel Oaks, who was 10th overall in 1 hour 49 minutes to take her winning streak to 4 out of 4 on the Inver calendar and um, fantastic running by Isabel with Jennifer Elvin in 2nd and Sophie Dady in 3rd in the Wicklow Way half there was also the Knock Melmadown half marathon in Muster last weekend too with Irish international Gavin Byrne taking the win there and Leanne Van Dyke the ladies win make sure guys to check out the Inver website for a full comprehensive list of all those results and a couple of other races that have taken place since our last podcast do and their calendar of course has all the details of all the upcoming races on the hills and on the mountains on the international front the big one since we last spoke um, was the trans Gran canaria and the win there was taken by joint winner in 2020 and winner of the tds in the utmb and um, a few years back the professional adidas trail runner pablo villa with pau capel in second place and in the ladies race the 2018 trail running world champion Ragnar de Bats from Holland took the ladies title and we've lots of course coming up in the Tanzania and Canaria in our feature interview in a short little while with Dave Barry who was one of only five Irish runners to complete the big 126k distance and Dave will bring us through his full adventure and race experience with some excellent insights and tips on the race very very shortly but before we do that guys and before we call in Rennie thank you to Ruth Candon and Eamor O'Connell who went to the trouble over the last week or two to go to Patreon look up the podcast and then go to make the small contribution of three euros a month thanks a million guys it's just the equivalent of the price of a gel to help keep us going every month and if you've liked what you've heard in our previous episodes or if you're new to the podcast please do take a moment to pop over to patreon and we in turn will do our best to promote the sport of trail and mountain running in ireland and indeed of course irish trail running athletes too right so time to call in our resident coaching guru and talk about how old should we be 
before we make the jump up to the big distances on the hills. Renny Borg from Running Coach Ireland. Renny, good to talk to you as always. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm pretty good, Owen. I'm enjoying the change in the weather that we've had. You know, you you haven't been... I know you were up here for a week, so long ago, and uh, as you as you might have noticed then, it's, we've had a very kind of wet start to the year, but the, the last seven days or so have been very good. So the guys who were out running, Morris, what was it? The, not Morris, Mullins now. It's the week away half over the the weekend there they got a really good <clears throat> day out i think a bit of wind and yeah. obviously we are speaking about ultras today as you're gonna mention now in a moment and and it's timely because the morris mullins ultra is coming out now on saturday and i looked at the weather forecast and it looks like more of the same so okay. we, we're gonna get a good good dry spell now so the trails can get less mucky um, yeah, and you know we can all do less puddle jumping when we're out for the training runs. Yeah, and just getting closer and closer to the nice summer trails as well. Um, but as you said, Rennie, the topic for today's coaching segment is um, a couple of weeks ago there when I was working at the Trans Grand Canaria, um, I saw this incredible athlete, an athlete called Sarah Alonso, twenty three years of age, Rennie, and she destroyed the women's field in the marathon race of the Transgrand Canaria. Three hours, 30 minutes. And I saw some video footage of her, some photographs of her. I was there at the finish line when she arrived in and she just looked so strong and powerful. She looked like she was having a great time running, but yet she was so young, 23 years of age. And she destroyed a really, really good trail running um, international field here in the Transgrand Canaria. So it just made me think, Rennie, and I'd be delighted to, to get your own own opinion and thoughts on it as well is is there any age that's too young for a marathon whether it's on the roads or on the trails and especially in the trails as we go into ultra running you know 42 50k and above you know should we be saying to the listeners you should really try and wait to maybe your late 20s early 30s or even more than that tell me what you think or is it okay like you know if you're young you're strong, you're fit, and you're like Sarah there, um, and you fancy doing a marathon on the trails in the mountains, go for it and see what happens. Um, what are your thoughts on it, Rennie? Yeah, well, I did think about it a good bit because it's a discussion that um, came up, you know, with marathons years ago when, we, you know, we, it was mainly the elite Africans, you know, they, they started to come into the marathon younger and younger because obviously the prize money got better and better, and that meant it was enticing for people who used to focus on running, you know, 5,000, uh, 10,000 meters on the track to go and run the marathons when they were, you know, 22, 23, instead of when they were 26, 27, 28. Um, and that was kind of a culmination of a, a trend that goes back, you know, to the days when the marathon, you know, a little bit derisively was considered an event for people who were getting too slow for the 10K. You know, and obviously that that's long ago now, but that is how more or less it was when in the early days, you know, kind of 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, but what actually happened with this development was the same thing that, that you've noticed in the case of this girl is that you got these, you know, explosive young people moving on to the marathon and they totally changed the dynamic. You know, they made it more competitive. They ran really, really fast times. They ran with a lot of bravado and surges and things like that. So they made it very interesting. But of course, it's still, even when you see that, it, it, it leaves you with some questions such as, well, 
okay, they're elites. Uh, so that means they're very well trained, even if they're young. Um, so does this necessarily apply to all the rest of us? Uh, and I think the answer lies in that is that it's really more about your training age and the time you've had to prepare and mature than it is the biological age on your passport. Uh, because we take, you know, Killian Jonet, because everyone knows him. We all know the sort of activity he did from, I think most people listening will probably know this. Um, you know, from the age of three or four, he was totally immersed in a mountain environment, you know. So someone like him was able to enter the sport from, you know, his very kind of earliest senior years and, and thrive on it because he was superbly prepared. And it's probably similar to when you see an African guy, you know, jump into a marathon and run 206 or 22. Um, it's because he has those, you know, mythical 10,000 miles they often talk about or 10,000 kilometers that they run by age 18 yeah. because they have these physical lifestyles. So I think that's when you choose goals, first and foremost, of course, it's, it's about experience for most people who are not looking to win races and, and you know, smash fastest known times and all this. And that yeah. means that the timing of when you decide to go for something is not usually dictated by cold logic. You know, it's not about, oh, this is my peak biological age, you know, um, mm -hmm. or this would be my peak biological age. And if people are curious, by the way, the, the most recent study suggests that people peak 39 to 40. Uh, for ultra running, there was a slightly older study I looked at as well. It was about 20 years older, uh, which had it at 35. So either something has changed there or it's just that, you know, the two studies kind of, they hit slightly different groups. Um, but it does suggest, you know, that you peak in your kind of mid thirties. So that means if you sat down and you put your whole running career on a big board and said, well, when should I really be starting to hit the ultras? Um, it would suggest that it's not early twenties, right? Um, but at the same time, you mentioned this girl. Um, we know other youngsters uh, who are doing well in Ireland, too. You know, we have the likes of Sage Canada. You know, he's very well known. Max King. Mm. So there seems to be these kind of standalone examples where young ultra runners can actually outperform older ones. Even if, if you look statistically, it looks like the peaks comes older. So I yeah. thought to, to really answer the question, apart from, you know, the basic takeaway is it has more to do with your preparation and the time you've had to mature as in the sport you know so the time you've had to train and prepare that's really the main thing to be concerned about uh, when you choose is this a good time for me uh, and it's obviously just to protect you from being underprepared you know to yeah. go into an event with a body that you know, the mind is willing but the body truly isn't prepared and then you might or may not enjoy the event because of that and you may do yourself some harm because ultra running in as a general thing is not harmful. You know, there's obviously there's grades of ultra running and there's degrees to how many races you can do. You know, some people do maybe too many in a season and others are very, very surgical, you know, like with marathoners, they only do a few every season. But in terms of absolute health, the studies that have been done on that show that ultra runners are healthier than the average of the population. Um, yeah. and and that the but it also shows a hint to where we might have to be careful and that was that there was more injuries in the younger ultra runners than the older ones yeah and i suppose that's a key question Rennie, isn't it as well that 
if a runner is starting the marathon and ultra distances so early in their in their early 20s like Killian did who was 20 years of age really when he won that UTMB in 2008 his first win imagine that 2008 20 years of age beating the best in the world but the risk is that if you think start training and running so long at that age will you still be running in 10 years time because I know when we're talking to the athletes that we train, one of the messages that we always try and say to them is, you know, um, is this is this a lifelong activity for you? Do, do you want to enjoy running for a short period of time and give it everything you have? Or from a health point of view, from a holistic point of view, do you want to be here in 10 years time still running as well? And, you know, maybe it's hard to find some concrete evidence on it, but I think in general, if you are pounding the body so hard from an early age, the likelihood of still being still running, whether it's competitively or just for the enjoyment of it into your mid thirties and forties, it probably decreases quite a lot. If you start so, so young. Yeah. I think there's, a, there's, there's other observations more general to sport that suggests that that's true. And I think the two that stood out most to me is that for instance, with, younger runners when they looked at them like who were the top runners at 18 for instance mm. it was very very often not the ones that were the top runners at 12 and that gives you a suggestion there that if you specialize too early you know and i know there are counter examples you know anyone can watch the ingebrigtsen documentaries you know they start at four etc etc yeah. but yeah. it's not quite so simple either because they they did some other things like football and skiing and things like that but it, it suggests as a general observation that the runners who have a longer career and who peak at the right time, that means they peak at the age where um, they're best suited for the event. You know, So we know peak for 5K, as just off the top of my head, I think it's something like 22, 23 years. And as we mentioned, the peak on average for elites in the marathon is more like 27 to 31. Yeah. Something along those lines, right? So th that means what you really want to do, obviously, if, if you want to make the best of an event, whether it's at your level or the absolute level, is you want to be in good nick when you get to that age group. Um, and it suggests, if you look at that observation, that if people specialize too early, um, that hurts you further down the line. That would also suggest that if you throw yourself at very difficult running challenges too early, before you're kind of fully formed in the sport and you have learned all the basics, there is a very good chance then that you will not be performing as well at the time of your career where you could have been at your very, very best, you know, your hypothetical best. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so there is probably kind of an ideal roadmap you could construct for everyone. And it probably rarely would involve that in the first formative years, you throw an ultra in there. Yeah. And um, what would that ideal roadmap look like, Rene, for, for the listeners at home in Ireland who are, you know, who love their Leinster League races, their Munster League races, like to do the odd big race every now and again as well. But say for people who are just starting off in the mountain running world, trail running world, what would that roadmap look like? And I might just um, mention my own coach back many years ago, Adam Jones from Farnham, who, when he came across me as, as a young, naive runner, 
owner who was training for the Dublin Marathon as my first race, as you do, which is the, it's such a common mistake, isn't it? And where people try and jump straight into it and go into the deep end with the marathon. But there's normally a great sense of joy and satisfaction behind it, even though it mightn't be the proper thing to do from a training coaching point of view. Adam said to me, Owen, do your marathon, enjoy it, take it off your bucket list, but then come back to me and then we'll do things properly. We'll start off on the track, 800, 1500, 3K, 5K, cross country, and we'll move up through the, dis- through the distances over time. And would you believe, Randy, then it took me a full 10 years from 2004, 2014, until I felt I was right to go back to Dublin and do the marathon again. Now, not everybody will have to, will have that such a long journey, I know. But for the mental runners back at home, what type of roadmap would you recommend um, in terms of mental and trail running um, for people to, to, to go on? Well, I think what he did was very clever. So that that is, you know, because he kind of let you scratch that itch. Yeah. Uh, and I yeah. have felt it. I, I was similar. I did. I, I ended up doing my first marathon much earlier than I had planned because in my head, I had a proper plan. You know, I wanted to do everything in the right order. And then the opportunities just came along. I was like, oh, I'm going to do it, you know, because I just couldn't help myself. I just had to experience it. And I think a lot of people feel the same with ultras. You know, they just really want to experience it. And there is something to be said for that, because at the end of the day, you know, the present moment is important, you know, and if you always put things off to the future, you know, maybe they never happen you know, because you just never know. Um, so in that way, you know, if you could just go out, have the experience, if, if you really can't help yourself, um, but then do exactly as Adam said, let's go back and start from scratch. Now, if you are starting in your mid twenties and you're not, you were very fast on, I think Adam must've picked up on that. Yeah. Um, so for most people, they don't need to go all the way back to 800 and 1500 meters. Because, as you know, they're very specialized events, even compared to 3,000 and 5,000 meters. You know, they, mm. they, they're much more anaerobic. They require a lot, lot bigger top speed. And there's not a lot of races actually available where you can go if you are, you know, even some people that would consider themselves very decent club runners can look uh, very, uh, what would you say, um, mediocre, even jumping into some of the track meets in Dublin. You, you can be very, so it can be kind of very demoralizing experience if you just happen to not be particularly talented. Yeah. You know, whereas it's, if, if you're just nice and strong and consistent, most people can jump into a 5k and if they have done a bit of training, it can be quite a nice experience, you know, where you're not hanging off the back in every race. So for most people, that's probably as far back as they need to take it, mm. you know, say, let's, let me get to grips with racing over the 5k the 10k distances and the similar races on the trail because this is a trail running podcast obviously which is the stuff you're talking about the the winter league the leinster league the trail league in ireland we kind of blessed that way that there's such a selection Um, and in a way the system was designed the the only thing you could say that's bad about the imra system is that it encourages year-round racing uh, which means if you're real uh, eager you could do yourself some harm if you get sucked into the whole season. But, yeah. but, but the positive is that the option is there, you know, and it's not Imra's fault. You know, it's up to you to, 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 to what to say, have some restraint. If you do use it cleverly, you can build yourself up in that you enter, let's say, the trail league, which is the easiest league, because the terrain is easier. There's nothing extreme. And the distances tend to be 6 to 10K, you know, so it's in that kind of range. 
Um, yeah. And similar with the Winter League, the Winter League races are a little bit shorter. Again, they start around 6K, they build up to about 11. And then only in the summer, they, they even in the summer, they actually start short, you know, and then they get longer as the summer progresses. And those races never get longer than 12K. Sure. So, yeah. so that's, that's where you can kind of learn your, what would you say? You can learn your, um, the rudimentaries of what does it take to race? How does my body respond to it? You know, you can build up your consistency around that. Um, but obviously most people then will want the next step, which is going into these kind of, you know, like, like the Wickleway half we had last week, which, you know, was 21 K there's a lot of races now on trail that are in that bracket of kind of 15 to 30 K. Yeah, and, and that's usually where you will want to gravitate next. And it doesn't have to be a very big step up. You, you need to have had a little bit more consistency because otherwise you, you end up slowing down a lot. But it's, it's not that big a step up because most of the time you just slow down. You know, So you're doing a, a longer race, but it's also a lot slower and less intense than what you were doing. And it's, it's, once you have done that once or twice, I think that is an ideal point then to say, now I would really like to try a trail marathon. Yeah. And yeah. I can't I can't really put a year on it except if you really pushed me. They say that today one out of four ultra runners have less than three years experience when they do their first one. Wow. And I would, you know, which is, is more than you'd expect. I would probably suggest that a, a great time to start stepping up is when you have trained for three to five years. Yeah, you know, three okay. to five good seasons of trying races, maybe below 25k. I'm just kind of throwing it out there. So yeah, and isn't the great thing now, Renny, that a lot of the event races um, around Europe and in Ireland as well, a lot of them do offer multiple distances on race day. So, uh, you know, we all might love to do, say, the, the 80k or the 100k, but most of the races you'll find will have shorter races. So, you over you know a period of three or four years, if you wanted to. You could gradually build up. Say, for example, our own Eco Trail Wicklow that we're involved in, they have their 19K, 30K, 46K, and 80K. And isn't that a lovely progression over maybe a four year period? To move up through the distances then on a more international level we've got the utmb of course as well we have all their different distances to there as well so you don't need to jump straight in to the big one 160k um, race you can do it over time and the great thing is all these races nowadays they all have multiple distances so with a little bit of patience hold off scratching that itch straight away maybe and do it over time yeah, and I think when we were digging into some of the demographics around ultra running, I think we found some interesting things that that, that suggests what, what's happening. But maybe just to frame it for the listeners, because we speak a lot about ultras in this podcast, and we're obviously immersed in it as coaches, and I'm sure there's quite a fair few ultra runners listening. So it can be tempting to think actually that the sport is bigger than it is because it has kind of gone through a renaissance in the last 10 years. You know, there's a lot more participants than there used to be, but it's actually, we still need to frame it. Um, and it's, it's, it's a very, very small sport and running still. So in most countries, there is less total finishes in all ultra races in that country combined than their top marathon. Or in the U S for instance, there's less finishes in all ultras in the U S than their top four road marathons. Mm, so it yeah. just shows you the enormous difference in scale still, you know, so we are talking about a sport that is, is still only sought out by a very small part of the running community. It has, it grew, grew very rapidly 
it seems like in the last 20 years, but it has come to a bit of a plateau recently. Mm. Um, uh, so, so there seems to be, it's, it's coming to maybe a level where it, 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 it'll either start to decline a bit like the marathon has and the 5k has, or it will find um, a, another growth area. For instance, there's less women in ultra surprisingly in proportion than in all other distances. Okay. okay. You know, so that, that really surprised me because we know women do well in ultras, relatively speaking. Yeah. Um, and especially as the races get longer, but they, there's still way more men uh, and much more men than, than in the, you would find in a 5K or marathon. And uh, the shift that surprised me the most is that the ultras have gotten a lot slower if you look at the average pace of the whole field. Mm. So this is obviously, we've seen a little bit similar trends, you know, in other sports. And it, part of it has always been explained. It's just because running as a sport is getting older. And, um, you know, so the average age of runners, I think we're looking at is 39. For ultras, it's 42 now. Yeah. Um, it has gone down a bit for ultras. So ultra running is getting a little bit younger. But we're still talking about middle-aged people is the main kind of um, segment for running at the moment. So it would probably, for the sport, as long as they're well-prepared, be really nice if more young competitors were attracted to it and especially if we could pull them from other sports you know the sports that that we compete with for attention and and everything else Uh, but this slowdown that you see in the ultra races what was most dramatic i don't know if you noticed it or not because i think you looked at the same article is that the average pace is now the same of all age groups from 30 to 60 Wow, incredible. Yeah. Well, yeah. Whereas 20 years ago, it, there was a huge difference between the younger and the older runners. Like the younger runners were a lot faster, as you would expect. Sure. So, sure, I've, been sure. Trying, so I've been trying to put my finger on that. And could it be that it's because the, the, the generations that are coming in now, there's a greater proportion of more casual ultra runners? Yeah. Whereas the older age group come from a time when anyone who entered ultras was very committed, you know, they're slightly more serious competitors. Yeah. Because there's some hints at that in that they also looked at the average finishing time by the distance of the ultra race. And basically it was lower on average in the really long ones, which makes no sense, you know, on the surface. But it suggests that a lot of people who are really just dipping their toes, they want to see what this ultra thing is all about. They dip into these short ultras, you know, as we could call them 50, 55K, 60. And they do complete them, but at a very, you know, I think the average pace there, it was 14, it was over 14 minutes per kilometer. Mm-hmm. And, and that can suggest that maybe when people come in to dip their toes and scratch the itch, it's a little bit before they're fully prepared to, to do it. Because, you know, if what, what, this, what the tables also showed is that once people got five, six, seven ultras under their belt, their average pace got a lot faster then from there on on. Sure. And I suspect then the dropout rates, Rennie, as well, for the older cohort of trail runners is probably a lot lower too than the dropout rate maybe of those younger trail runners that are in their maybe mid to late 20s who are just dipping their toes in it. Because as we know, and as we've spoken about a couple of times in the show, there's so many things that can go wrong in an ultra trail um, race as opposed to a, a road marathon where it's very straightforward, get your nutrition right, get your training more or less right, and you should make it okay. But there's just so many other decisions um, and, and planning and strategy involved in, in the trail running world. Well, listen, Rennie, some great food for thought there today. And a shout out to any of our young trail runners out there. If any of them come in, in the podium or even take a win in any of the big races that are um, upcoming, 
coming over the next few weeks and Morris Mullins Ultra or any of those races there we will have you on the show you will be invited on the show to talk to us about your young trail running career Rene thanks a mil for all of that and if anybody wants to get in touch with Rene you'll get him on runningcoach.ie as always Rene thanks a mil no problem I'll talk to you Time for our feature interview this week and as many of you know I live in Gran Canaria and this is where I record the podcast and do the interviews etc and last week we had in the Canary Islands which is actually a bit of a mecca in Spain for trail running the Canary Islands biggest trail running race the Trans Gran Canaria which is the first big international race of the trail running season where a lot of the pros come with their existing and new teams so it really is a very very exciting weekend of racing as I mentioned earlier Pablo Villa won the race and I teach Pablo English every Wednesday and I did think of inviting Pablo onto the show but the main goal of the show is to promote Irish trail running and Irish athletes and boy does Dave Barry from Limerick originally have a story to tell about his Transgan Canaria and as you'll hear it's a story of determination, mental and physical strength, something that I think will inspire us all as we plan and get ready for racing over the rest of 2022. Dave, you're very welcome to the podcast. And Dave, to kick off, what I was going to ask you was just if you could tell myself and the listeners a little bit of your own racing background and the pedigree that's there, the pedigree that's there, which makes taking on such a big, tough event like the 126 kilometer Transgrand Canaria a realistic objective. All right, on. Hi, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah. Uh, I suppose my running really only started probably 10 or 12 years ago uh, when I started doing some of the business house races and I started doing some of the uh, adventure races. I remember coming into 2010 and feeling like I hadn't done any exercise in 2019 or 20, 2009 and I really wanted to uh, do more exercise. So I started doing a lot of, a lot of running, a lot of exercise in 2010. Uh, and then I got into marathons and then it was really in... 2019 I did my first trail ultra uh, so it's really only you know three years ago uh, and I suffered suffered badly in a couple of the early ones and you learn quickly what you need to do uh, and since then I've done a nice number of them I've done the carry away three times I've done a couple of other longer races I've done a an FKT and uh, I kind of felt pretty confident then regardless of what the Trans Grand Canaria at the time of signing up for it now uh, regardless of what it uh, was going to throw me up I was going to be able to meet the needs uh, yeah. that was initially for sure a long way um, from the from the four mile cross-country business house races back in the day isn't it all the way up to 126 kilometers yeah well it's interesting and I, I feel like I was kind of pushed in that direction in so far as I did those 5k and 10k and then I did some of the adventure races and then people kept asking me have you run a marathon surely you've run a marathon you must have run a marathon and I said no no I've never run a marathon so in 2014, then I decided to get that monkey off my back and I ran the, uh, the Dublin City Marathon. And I remember it was a sweltering hot day and I had no clue. Nobody had ever told me about, you know, that you should be trying to cool yourself down and put water over your head. And I just remember dying a thousand deaths in those last six. I know people die anyway, but I was certainly struggling. And I remember coming across the line and it was like a, a war zone. People had just thrown themselves on the side of the road and were just like in pieces. And I was the very same 
Yeah, well, well, I think we're going to hear later on that you, you went through similar experiences in the Tarantula and Canaria, but in three times the distance. But before we get there, Dave, um, before the Tarantula and Canaria, we were having a chat and there's a couple of days leading up to it. And, and you were saying that before you got this terrible calf injury, and we'll get into that now as well, that you were saying that you're in the shape of your life. And I think you might be in your early 50s, Dave, is it? So I'm always interested to hear someone that's in their 40s or in their early 50s say that they're in fantastic shape. So for the benefit of myself and the listeners, maybe could you talk to us about how you keep in such good shape and you get to such a high level of fitness, you know, as we're getting on in years and that we're not in our 20s or our 30s anymore, but you're still ready to go for it. It's such a big challenge like that to Transylvania Canaria. Yeah, and I would say there are two, two main things that I would say to everybody, because I think people get caught up with all these intervals and hill repeats, and really the key, two basic keys are consistency, and I also think the higher mileage uh, needs to be in there. So you need to be running a lot, uh, as in a lot of days, and you need to be running a lot of mileage, I think. Uh, and if you do that, then really you set yourself up for success in any race that you're going to do. Uh, so okay. when I say that I was in the best shape of my life, I really I had had two months, probably from the beginning of sorry, for probably from the middle of November to the middle of January, where I kept it simple. I've got a kind of a couple of what I would consider key training um, events that I do during a week. That if I hit all of those over the course of six or eight weeks, you know, it's going to set me up for success, and that's what ha- happened such that I was there in the middle of January and I was running up hills, you know, a bit like out of body experience where you're looking at yourself kind of going, Phew, you're in good shape, buddy, because what you do as well a lot is you run the same routes and you can see yourself how you're improving on those over time and how stronger you're feeling maybe going up a hill where at the beginning of your training block, you're walking that hill and you just see the progression yourself. Yeah. So am I right in saying, Dave, that it's consistency, it's mileage, it's time down the hills, as opposed to maybe, say, short, sharp intervals, which can get you very fit for, say, the shorter races, the shorter hill races, shorter 10K races on the roads. But stuff like, you know, 400s and 1Ks, they're a lot more intense. They're high risk as well in terms of just keeping the legs healthy. So is it maybe leaving that type of training to the side and just concentrating on time on feet running and mileage, as you said? Uh, Where I think it is is, when you start doing particularly these long distance races, it should all be around the consistency and the high mileage. The thing like the, those hill repeats and those intervals, they're the kind of stuff when you've run out of uh, improvements in a way that you get from that high mileage. And now you're looking for where do I get my additional percentages? Uh, and it's okay. then you start peppering in those, those pieces. But if you're starting on your journey or you're early in your journey, really focus on consistency, really focus on in my opinion, I think 50 miles a week uh, should be what you're aiming for. Now, more is great, uh, but you should really be looking for 50. Like what I would say to other people that I run with is, you know, those six or eight weeks before your, um, before your key race, uh, make sure you're trying to hit that 50 at a minimum. Uh, and then you really are. Your body is so used to moving and in trail races, you know, it's kind of stop start that you'll always be able to pick yourself up and keep moving. Yeah. And you got to that point, Dave, where you were in super shape, about to hit the final training training block before your key spring race. 
and then this calf injury came about. Um, what do you think it was, Dave? Because I'm sure there, there's so many people that are in the same position as yourself and or have been over the years where they're in great shape. They're just about to put the final finishing touches on their training block and a little niggle comes along. What was it yourself, Dave, do you think that just put the calf over the edge and just caused that little tear or a little rupture or whatever it might have been? Yeah, I know exactly what it is, Owen. And you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said it. And it's just so unfortunate. And it's unfortunate as well because I'm familiar with it. And I know myself that when you start tinkering with too much speed play on top of high mileage and other things that you're doing, you're really putting yourself in a precarious situation. And what happened for me was that I had a couple of friends who had said that they were doing a marathon in April. They were hoping to uh, achieve a qualifying time for Boston to run the Boston Marathon next year in 2023. And that then put the idea in my head, because I kind of have some unfinished business in Boston myself, uh, that if they're all heading over there, wouldn't it be great fun to go over and have that? So maybe I should start looking at putting some speed work into my uh, routine just uh, so that I can do a qualifying marathon. So I signed up for the Limerick Marathon on the 1st of May. I signed up for the Rahini 5 Mile at the end of January. And I said, I'll just go out now and I'll test to see what my speed work is like. And I went out and I did a great, I did nine miles at a 6.19 minute pace. And I was very happy. It felt really comfortable, uh, but it was kind of at the end of a high enough mileage week anyway. And then I went out that weekend. And this is where I believe it happened. I went out that weekend with some friends and we did what was... I would have thought was going to be a very easy and for one reason or another the fates and gods collided and it ended up being a much tougher uh, day in the hills than I anticipated and I think that on the back of everything that had gone on earlier in the week just yeah, as you say pushed the calf over the edge and gave me some strain or rupture or something significant anyway that was very, very yeah difficult. like I think they can the can the mountains and the hills they can get us so strong especially, say, on the roads for, say, marathon pace. But once we come down, say, from marathon pace to half marathon, even 10K pace, it's a different kettle of fish, isn't it, to doing hill repeats and long, steady runs in the mountains. It's just so much more aggressive. And especially as we get older, we just do have to just be so careful with the speed, don't we? Yeah, and I've said to so many people as well, you know, who've talked about, doing intervals and speed work, you know, that, oh, you need to be really careful with it. You know, it's prone with injury. And if I ever, you know, go too much on the speed, it always causes me injury. And then, of course, I go and do it all over again. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, I know. And that's why I had so much respect for um, the Irish Masters team a couple of weeks ago who went over to the, I think it was the European Indoor Track Championships. And they took home a whole rake of medals. It was brilliant to see, you know, guys in, in their 40s, 50s and 60s um, running super fast, 200 metres, 400 metres, 800 metres on the track. And, you know, great admiration for them. But they, you have this calf problem and a lot of people would have just thrown in the towel because it was you couldn't run for a number of weeks but you, you kept the hope alive and you came over to Las Palmas the Gran Canaria and even though you hadn't ran in a number of weeks apart from maybe I think one or two test runs you were still willing to give it a shot and just talk to us about that mental battle of just not bothering and just coming over for our son holiday but yet still be willing to take the risk and to go for the challenge and get to the start line and go for it. You must have been yeah. calling two minds. 
Oh, I'll tell you. Well, when it happened originally, which was the middle of January, I said, okay, the Rahini five mile at the end of January is out the window. But this is the middle of January. The Trans Grand Canary isn't for another seven weeks. This will be long gone by then. You know, maybe I need to rest it up for a week, two at most. But, you know, I still, begin, I'll have the beginning of Jan or beginning of February. If I can get three weeks of just really honing that fitness that I had before the injury again, I'll be absolutely 100% fine. And then it really wasn't like I got into February and I, you know, like you mentioned those uh, little testing runs, I, what I must feel, what I believe happened is I just kept setting myself back. And then I was doing things like foam rolling and massage and it really wasn't helping it when I should have stayed away from it. I did go to a physiotherapist and I'm just not sure, you know, different physiotherapists don't really understand the plight of the ultra runner maybe. And he, I, I'm not sure yeah. that advice. Long story short, anyway, time just kept rolling forward and rolling forward. So I kept kind of thinking, yeah, I've got enough time. I've got enough time. Oh, getting a bit close now, getting a bit close until really it was like the week before the race. And then I really started thinking, OK, I'm in deep trouble here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you came over and just for people listening, Dave, that might be thinking of coming over to the Trans Academy next year, because it's one of these races that it's actually going on in a fantastic time of the year, February or early March. So for anybody who's looking for a big international trail running race that they can train through maybe November, December and January, it's an ideal race. It's, it's the biggest one on the calendar, certainly in this time of the, of the year internationally. So for people coming over that are planning their trip, they have two options, whether to stay down in the south of the island where all the beaches are, the famous Plating, Galais, Mas Palomas, and where the finish line is, or you can stay up in the north of the island where the city is and where the start of the race is. And yourself and Claire decided to come up and stay in the north of the island, just around the corner from the start area. So just maybe talk to us about that decision, the logistics of um, deciding to stay up in the north rather than down in the sunny um, part of the island, which is full of all those wonderful sandy beaches. Yeah, so we had been over on a sun holiday at the end, uh, beginning of November of last year, and we stayed down in Puerto Rico, which is right down to the very south of the island. Uh, but what we found is that there were no restaurants, a very poor quality restaurants. Uh, you know, it was all beach resorty. There was Irish pubs blaring out the Italy eye, and it uh, really didn't appeal to us that much. We're not beach resort people, and there wasn't an awful lot to do, and the choices for... Uh, dining and drinking weren't very good uh, and then we took a day trip up to Las Palmas uh, and we took some and really Las Palmas I would say blew my mind in I was expecting this I don't know port city that was very industrial and what I found was a old colonial uh, city that had a lot of um, beautiful architecture and culture about it and beautiful winding little side streets with great cafes and diners and uh, bars and restaurants and alfresco dining and it was just in that day trip, we said, look, when we come back, this is where we want to stay. And that's exactly what we did. And we were very happy with our decision at the end of the day because uh, there was just so much going on and it wasn't geared towards the tourists. It just really um, was geared towards the locals who wanted to dine well and uh, dine al fresco. Yeah, and the comfort, of course, of just literally a five-minute walk to the start area, which, you know, avoids all the nerves of getting buses or taxis down to the start area, where once you're finished, you're finished, and then whatever happens, whatever you need to do, a bus or a taxi to get back to your hotel, you don't care because your race is done. But I think it's a very good call because it just avoids a couple of hours of travel or extra stress that you don't need before you're starting. And speaking of starting, Dave, just before you go, 
you've got your your bag ready in the hotel and i saw just on your youtube channel that you went through your race kit and maybe you could tell us about a couple of extra things that i saw you have that people mightn't think of when they're getting ready for a big a big ultra trail race like that and you had a couple of very very good ideas yeah so i am haven't been over in gran canaria uh, last year, as I mentioned, I didn't realize again just how technical the course is. It's a volcanic island, so it's very, the trails are very rubbly, uh, and it's one of those uh, courses that really has great potential for rolling your ankle. So, what I did do, and I did roll my ankle last year, and what I find is that you can um, do it even more damage after you've rolled it, getting back to wherever you need to get back to. But if you have an ankle support, you throw that on straight away, uh, you minimize the risk and the danger and you can be back running very soon afterwards so that was one item that I did throw into my backpack thankfully I didn't need it uh, I had my two head torches a lot of people use the large Petzl now head torch I've held it in my hand and the weight of it uh, I prefer to use uh, lighter head torches so I did use two of those one a silver one that I really think is uh, it's my favorite it works you know got me right through the first night uh, the second, the Petzl Ico, did run out on me and I had to uh, borrow somebody else's light for the last two kilometers, even though I had a spare battery, but I had it buried. Uh, but there's a few other things. Uh, what else did I have in there? I had a bit of money in case I got stuck in the middle of nowhere and had to get a taxi and my uh, electronics were uh, not working for me. I had my food. I had, uh, oh yeah, I had some other pieces. Obviously my ankle or my, um, my calf injury was my biggest concern going into the race. So I yeah. did have some kinesiology tape just to give that some additional support. I did have some uh, calf sleeves just to give it some compression. Again, some more support. I was just trying to do everything that I could to you yeah. know, go into these races. You're looking for where did, am I? Did you have to put them on, David? Or did you have to put on the calf sleeves or the tape on? I put the tape and the calf sleeves on from the very <laughs> beginning. Oh, yeah, you better. Get your ass. <laughs> well, 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 listen, tell us, like, you have your bag ready. You're down at the start line just before 11 p.m. on this beautiful city beach here in Las Palmas, Las Canteras. You haven't trained in weeks. and yeah. You're surrounded by all these international pro athletes, Pau Capel, Pablo Villa, who went on doing the race, of course. And you know you have one full night ahead of you, possibly two. <laughs> like, yeah. What are your thoughts, Dave, as you're about to kick off? Ahead oh, of I'm, in, I'm in pen number one as well. Because uh, at the time I was putting up my form, I thought, yeah, I'm in the best shape of my life. So, of course, I want to be up there with the very front people. So, I'm standing with these pure svelte athletes that have probably, you know, a huge training block behind them. And I'm kind of going, oh, no, this isn't going to end well. Uh, and uh, But where was my head at? My head was at, do you know where my head was? I really hadn't a clue. I really, I said, I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know how this is going to work out. I know... I know the wheels are going to come off at some stage. That's inevitable. I don't have the training done. I know my calf. Yeah, I don't know. Because in the six days running up to the um, race as well, I didn't do any exercise. I just really said, look, I'll try and give this calf that last bit of rest wow. that I can give it. Yeah. I still learned that opening in that number one pain gun as interested as anybody. And it's one of those interesting things where you're just, I feel like a third party looking in saying, hmm, what's going to happen here now? This will be interesting. Yeah, I find that amazing um, that, that you had the, the patience and the discipline and maybe even the confidence in yourself not to do exercise in the last six days, I think you said, 
where I'm sure I know myself and I'm sure most people would be pulling their hair out if they couldn't do any running or exercise in the last week. And if they couldn't, they probably just wouldn't even go to the start line. So the fact that you that you didn't do anything, you gave it the rest, you got to the start line. And without wanting to spoil the finish now of your story, you, you didn't get to the finish of the race. So I just find it incredible, incredible mental strength, Dave. And uh, fair play to you even just for, for starting that race, given what yeah, you've like gone through wanted- and injury problems. Yeah, and one interesting thing, just when you talk about mental strength, that did happen right as I started off running, because you start on the beach, as you mentioned, and you're running along the sand, and my calf gave me a little bit of a twinge, and then that little voice where you talk about your mental strength you know, on one of my shoulders said, you know, you could pull out right now, nobody would blame you, you know, you've got an injury, you don't yeah. have yourself with any pain whatsoever. And then the other side of my the little angel or whatever it is on the other shoulder just said, oh, shut your mouth, Bozo, we're, uh, we're taking this to the finish line. Yeah, sure. And then I think the, the calf did, it, it held together. And there's talk through the race now. And listen, I mean, it's so hard to talk through 126 kilometers. Um, but just some of the key points, like the, the way the race works is that you go through the night. Everybody has to go through the first night from the pros to the middle of the pack runners as well. And um, what's that first night like where you start off at 11 o'clock? And you're just running through darkness and you're running through tough hills, Dave, as well. Like you go through some lovely towns here in Grand Canaria, but it's all through the dark and it's all some tough, tough underfoot conditions as well. 100%. And what I have found is that if I start a race and I'm fit and healthy and ready to go, it doesn't really matter that much how bad the terrain is because I'm fit and healthy enough okay. to get to the okay. finish line. Whereas in this situation, I really should have paid a bit more attention to the elevation. It's not something that I looked at too much before, because when you compress 126 kilometers into the width of an A4 page, it always looks spiky, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, now I realize, yeah, 7,000 meters over 126 kilometers, that's a hell of a lot of climbing. And that was the first thing that really hit me. We were going up and up and up and then down, which didn't seem too far, and then up and up and up. And it just really has. That, so that was the first piece of the, the night. There was just so much climbing. It just uh, blew my mind. The second piece then was I was, um, you know, this preconception that I'm going to Gran Canaria. It's this lovely, you know, paradise island with uh, sun shining all the time and beautiful warm breezes in the evening. And we got bombarded with this orange weather warning where the rain was coming in sideways, freezing cold, blowing a gale. And I was just going, wow. This is not what I expected at all. And, you know, I sometimes think of people who, you know, maybe shouldn't be doing a race uh, and they'll get through it in good conditions. But if conditions are bad, you know, they're in trouble. And this thing threw everything at me. And, you know, of course, it turned the ground into pure mud. Then there was mudslide. There was people coming down from behind you, taking the legs out from everybody. There was people trying to climb up in front of you, coming sliding back. It was carnage in places, though, and I don't mind telling you. Oh, yeah. And I know one of the things that you said was um, the thought of going back out there is frightening. And once again, Dave, like you, 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 you overcame that, not fear, it's not really fear, you know, but you overcame that just sense of suffering and hardship. And, and you went out there, you know, the halfway point. I'm sure you said to yourself, Jesus, I've got another another 63 kilometers to go here another full day and another couple of hours of darkness as well i mean in another race like that you have your physical battle going on and um, but then again just that mental battle 
And I saw some of the video footage of the, of the video that you did. And it was an incredible, incredible mental game that you had going on with yourself. And, but you won. You, you, beat, you beat yourself and you got out there and you, yeah. and you did it. That moment in Artanara, that really was, to use a rock climbing term, that was the crux of the whole race right there because it's the halfway point. So you've reached halfway but it was the worst weather of the whole thing. It was just blowing a gale when you're sitting inside in the aid station, you're looking out at it and it just looks terrible. You're cold, you're wet. People around you have got their foil blankets on and I put my own foil blanket on, which is something I've never done before. Uh, and it was just, yeah, it really, that was, that was the closest I've ever come to voluntarily taking myself out of a race uh, where I just kind of go, God, because I was spent now as well. I didn't have the fitness yeah. or the energy to do it. And I was, you know, and if the weather had been good, you know, I can go out and I can do it. But I was just looking out at this and it really took, it took all the mental strength to get out there and start moving again. But I also thought once you get out there and you get beyond that real worst part of the storm, you climb up out of it a little bit, it gets a bit better. And it just reminded me that these races can always turn on a dime. So, you know, never let yourself give up in an aid station is my, my new rules that you got to give yourself. Do you think it's possible, Dave, to prepare properly? For these type of races back home in Ireland because of the first of all the elevation gain that you just we don't have at home and then just that change in climate from that horrible damn coldness to the hot weather then the, the following day when all everything clears now I know you know we can't do anything about being able to train in the hot weather maybe but do, do you think that it's possible to be able to prepare for the elevation for example and the trails I do. No, no, I do. And I was conscious. So when I had signed up for the Trans-Grand Canary, and particularly having been out there in uh, November, I knew what the trails looked like, and therefore I sought out similar trails here back home. And yes. no, you, can't go, you can't go up and up and up. Like I was starting some of those climbs at 300 metres and going on up to 1,800 metres. We don't have those kind of climbs here. But what we do have is, you know, we can do a climb up and come down and do another climb, you know, and your body doesn't necessarily know that you haven't been going up continuously, that you kind of, what it does know, you've climbed 2,000 metres, 3,000 metres, whatever it is over okay. <laughs> a period of time. So you can definitely, I think we can train for pretty much anything. Yeah, we need to be inventive in what we do, but uh, we've got enough going on here in Ireland that you can do it all right. Okay, okay. Uh, and listen, you, you got through it. You get to the last couple of kilometres, just as the second night is beginning to descend, and tell us about those last couple of kilometers, Dave. Is it, is it a sense of enjoyment or are you, are you just literally dying of death at that stage and you're hanging on step by step? Or no, is, is there a sense of satisfaction as you're coming into the finish line of a big race like that? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And the more you do these, you always see that they, they, any of these long races have their ups and downs, peaks and troughs. And you can be in the lowest low and half a mile later in the highest high. And really for me in this particular race, there's a point where, because you got your drop bag, it was about 43 kilometers from the finish. After that, you go around a big loop around Rocky Nublo. And after that, then you're pointed a straight line. Now it's still about 30 kilometers to the finish line, but this is a straight line. And at that point I knew, okay, I'm finishing this thing now. You know, it's a, this is, this is happening. And I, at that point, you go through Tunte, which is a checkpoint. I just went straight through. You go to Ayugare, straight through. And then this race, if anybody else on the line is uh, thinking of doing this race, there's this dry riverbed only about 10 kilometers from the finish. And it will break your heart because it just goes on so long. 
it's so rubbly, you know, they're big kind of rocks, big enough to uh, twist your ankle, but not so big enough that they're, you can put your foot on and be confident that it'll support you. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you yeah. come off of that, to answer your question, uh, my body always seems to, again, it's one of those out-of-body experiences, click into, all right, we're two or three or five kilometers from the finish now, let's run. And I, I started running, you know, almost looking at myself, kind of going, really, we're doing this now? I started running and I passed a few people that had passed me earlier on and they were looking at me kind of going, really? Uh, but I ran away, you know, and this is where, when I talked about the different running that I do in my training blocks, this is where it's that long, flat run where in the middle of every uh, ultra race, it's always those four or five miles before you get to a next mountainous section where you just want to be able to roll and they're the easy miles. And this was one of those, those last couple of kilometers to the finish line. And I just said, let's roll it out. And then my head torch died. And I was like, ah. Oh. And uh, I just tagged onto a guy coming along behind me, Philippe, and uh, we ran in together. And it was just, it was, to answer your question, the question you answered was, it was joyous. It was just great. Uh, you know, you do remember all the hardship you've come through, all the lows that you've gone, and you just cross that finish line. And I just collapsed on the ground and just, hallelujah, I've done it. I've flipping done it, and I don't know how I did it. <laughs> yeah. And listen, Dave, you're only, your, you are one of 441 finishers. There was a 37% dropout rate. 262 runners dropped out. And you're one of five Irishmen. I don't know if you looked up the Irish results, but you are one of five Irishmen. No ladies this year. Um, Leo Boyle was the first man home in 20 hours and 18 minutes. Then yourself second. And second Irishman, 23 hours, 38 Lorcan Fagan, Joe Burney, and Paul O'Sullivan um, finished as well. And then we had four guys that didn't make it around, unfortunately. Um, given, given where you were coming from, Dave, were you happy with the 23 hours? And if you were fully fit, now I know there's plenty of ifs and buts and maybes yeah, here, yeah. but what do you think you might have done that course in? I mean, 23 hours, 177 out of the 441 finishers. So it's still a very, very good result what do you think you might have done maybe being fully fit being fully fit like because I, I generally have a pretty good idea of how I rank uh, and I definitely you know depending on as you say the, the day and if everything else had gone to plan I was I, I'm confident I would have come in between 18 and 20 hours that's wow you know, that, that, wow that would have been super yeah yeah you know if everything had been super I might have been down closer to the 18 but even on a bad day I felt confident I can come in under 20 hours Okay, okay, yeah, you, you would have um, challenged Leo Ball there for the first Irishman home. Leo did a great race, fair play to him if he's listening. And um, well, the, you, you might have to come back again, Dave, yeah, so yeah, yeah. open up maybe yeah. top 50, sub 18. And I suppose yeah, that's the next question. Sorry, sorry, go on, Dave, go on, what were you going to well, say? Let me, ask, let me answer your original question, though. But what I really feel, you know, am I happy with the 2338? I am delighted. I don't know yeah. how I pull that out of my body on the day. Uh, and, you know, that 2338 is the equivalent of an 18 hour uh, race, you know, when you're fit. So yeah. I just couldn't believe it and I couldn't be happy with it. And Dan said, you know, the piece that you were just coming on to there, I actually don't feel like I have any real unfinished business in Gran Canaria. However, I do take it some stage, I'll probably be back, but uh, to finish it, I feel, no, I'm very happy with that. I'm very happy with how it all uh, turned out. And to cross that finish line, as I mentioned there a little while ago, I could not yeah. have been happier. 
Yeah, and, and you have your your finishers red jacket, Dave, as well to be able to wear proudly back home as well. Would you recommend the race, Dave? Because I, I often get asked the question, living over here in Grand Canary, oh, and what do you think of the Transgrand Canaria? And it's a question, Dave, that I struggle to answer sometimes because Grand Canaria has these incredible high mountain spots, like you mentioned there, Rocky Nublo, these beautiful mountain villages, Tecada, Atanara. But then I know that the last 30 kilometers of this race are torture. They're physical torture coming home through this dry, barren, um, really long, straight, boring stretch. But then as well, I know I know the guys that organise the race and they're so professional. They put on such a great job. The finish line is always great, always a brilliant atmosphere down there. So I'm always caught in too. Um, but what about yourself, Dave? Would you recommend it to your, to your trail running buddies to, for something to do? I would recommend it. No, I think it is, it is a great race. Uh, it is at a great time of the year, like the beginning of March. If, you know, it gives you that focus during the winter. Uh, and if you know what you're getting into, it's 7,000 meters, by the way. <laughs> and, yes, uh, yeah. You know, and ideally, because I've spoken to other people who've done it before, you know, you don't get caught in an orange weather storm. Uh, you know, it can be like we went out on the Tuesday, came back on the Tuesday. So we had a nice uh, holiday beforehand, holiday afterwards. So it's great from that perspective. And then it does have all that, you know, super well organized. Uh, yes, it's got the climbs, but you go to all these wonderful villages and the support is great. Like, because it was only when I was looking back at that video that I made and you see these people and you realize, hold on, this is like two in the morning in that village. And there's this line of people out cheering us on, you know, and same in the next village and the next village. So uh, the support was great. So I think, you know, all these different races, they all throw you up something different and they're all uh, unique in their own way. So I think I would definitely consider... Uh, in a race if uh, anybody was listening and thinking yeah. about something. And, and it was the 20th anniversary, of course, this year, Dave, as well. 20 years on the go now to Transgrand Canaria. It literally is one of the biggest trail running races in the world. And trail running here in the Canary Islands, it is a bit of a national sport nearly. Obviously, football is the main number one sport, but there's so many really good, interesting local races here. Um, there's some great trail running athletes as well. When Spain won the Ultra Trail Running World Championships a couple of years ago, there was two Canarian runners on the team as well. So there's a really strong tradition of trail running here. And um, last question, Dave, maybe for today, just again, just to share whatever knowledge or experience you've had in the recovery aspect of it over the last 10 days now or so how has the recovery gone have you gone straight back into training or are you just on a complete break or any little tips you can share with us yeah no i haven't gone straight back into training to answer that question of course. no i promised i promised my body a good break after this one because uh, it really you know it delivered when i hadn't uh, <laughs> yeah you know, I, it certainly did 23 hours yeah. So what um so what I have done, uh yeah, I, I would always take at least one week off where I don't do any running at all. Uh this is week two now, and I did just go for a light run there earlier this week. I'll take it very easy now for the remainder of this month and then we'll start picking. So in April, my intention would be I'm back into that kind of training block where I'm trying to hit that 50 miles and get into that same rhythm where I'm hitting my various different types of uh training runs in a week so that we kind of start building for building for the next event. Yeah, exactly. And of course, you were in good company during the week as well with Claire, your partner in crime there. She did very well in the advanced. She did, she did, she did. No, she dug deep as well because her training hadn't gone uh, as she would have hoped for either. But like that, she's uh, she finds that Scottish uh, 
grit and tenacity and she drove onto the finish line herself. So it was great, great for to meet her at the finish line and to, to be able to share our, our war stories in the taxi home. <laughs> Very good. Listen, Dave, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks a million for sharing that wonderful experience of all 126 kilometres of the 20th edition of the Tenanza Grand Canardia. And Dave, you have a wonderful video that I think is just going up on YouTube over the next couple of days as well. And um, Just tell us about that YouTube channel. Is it just Dave Barry if people search for that on YouTube? Uh, no, what did I call it? I called it Fill in My Trail Run. Fill in My Trail Fill Run. Fill in My Trail Run. Super, uh, yeah. super. Well, I, I got to have a little preview earlier today, Dave, and it was very enjoyable. So I recommend if anybody liked the conversation that we had today, to do check out then Dave's video of the race where you'll get to see the Transland Canaria in all its glory and it's all, in all its suffering as well. Dave, fair play. Thanks, Mill, and we look forward to seeing you on the trails over the next couple of months. Pleasure, Ron. Good to talk to you. All the best, Dave. Take care. Bye now. Well, that's a wrap for this episode, everybody. Well done to Dave on finishing that tough, tough race. And as mentioned, Dave did a very enjoyable short film on the race, which he recorded over the course. And you can find that on YouTube if you search and filter for the channel name as opposed to a general search, the channel Film My Trail Run. A little reminder of our Patreon, everybody, before we go. If you do get a chance to pop over the Patreon Trail Running Ireland podcast and a small contribution, the price of a gel will help keep us going for the year and help us to promote this great sport of trail and mountain running. And as I said earlier, first and foremost, Irish trail running. Everyone, let's get our running gear on. Let's go. Let's go.